Good morning. The title of our message this morning is Ambition, and our text is Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 21. We are re-engaging our Romans series here at Palm Vista. The centerpiece of our worship time really is God's Word, where we spend about 40 minutes studying God's Word, preaching from God's Word, looking to God's Word, for these are God's very words to us. We just finished a four-part Advent series focusing on four songs in the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke. So at times we will teach or preach topically, but always centered on what God's Word has to say about that topic. But typically, we're preaching through books of the Bible. And so we have been preaching through Romans for about a year now. We're coming to the end of the book. And today we're in Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 21. And the title of the message is, ambition. So let's read that text together. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed by the power of, the, of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give me the grace to preach your word, Lord, the way you want it preached. And I pray that you would give grace to those who are hearing to hear your word the way you want it heard. Father, that together we might apply your word by the power of your spirit, Lord, that we might grow as your disciples, conformed more and more into the image of Christ, reaching out with your word, the gospel, to make disciples. And do it with joy and much confidence in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. About a week and a half ago, I attended my son-in-law's graduation from Florida International University. He received his master's in history. And it was a great event. Florida International University is primarily a Hispanic university. It's a huge university. Very, very diverse. And... And it was just wonderful to go there and and kind of engage with the crowd. We were told during the graduation that at Florida International University, for the typical graduate, actually well over half of the graduates, they would have been the first ones in their family to even attend a university in the United States. They, as many of us in the church, are either immigrants are children of immigrants. And immigrants and children of immigrants hold education very highly. They, they are very ambitious to see their children advance. And education is one of those means. I know that that was the case for my family. 
and my parents who spoke English very poorly and, and, and had a desire to see their son advance. They had an ambition for their son to be somebody. They came to this country for a new life, as did many in that auditorium. And often, education is the means to get there. It was just great looking around. Each graduate there had their grandmother, grandfather, their abuela and abuelo, their aunt and uncle, their tia and tío, their cousins. They, th- there were so many people there, and it was so raucous, and the languages were so varied, and everybody cheering, everybody cheering. We're, we're an ambitious city here in Miami. There is much ambition. It, this city pulsates with the ambition of immigrants and children of immigrants trying to make something of themselves. It is one of the reasons this city has such energy. It's an all, also the reason so many people are afraid of this city. It, it can be a little scary. It is true. South Florida is one of the fraud capitals of the world, and, and that is wrong. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't mean to say that that's good at all. But, but part of that is because people are driven. They're so ambitious. Many of them came like my parents came to this city with virtually nothing in their pockets. Young Cuban couple with a little baby boy on a train coming into Miami with nothing. If they didn't make it, there was no one to fall back on, no social security, no parents, nothing. They, they wouldn't eat if they didn't make it. And that naked ambition, that strong pulsating ambition is really what gives our city energy and strength. And it's part of what I love about the city. And, and Paul was ambitious. He was a very, very ambitious man. We read in the Bible that he was ambitious for Judaism. He was a Jew's Jew. His ambition was to see Judaism prosper and to make converts to Judaism. And for that reason, he hated Christianity. He killed Christians. He hated Jesus Christ. thought it was an imposter claiming to be the Messiah. Until the day he met Jesus Christ face to face. Until the day he met the resurrected Jesus Christ face to face. And that day, Jesus, who is the gospel, transformed Paul's ambition from making disciples for Judaism to making disciples for Christ, for Christianity. Paul's ambition was transformed by his encounter with the gospel, with Jesus Christ, who is the gospel. And that is my prayer for you. That whatever your ambitions are today, as we conclude 2014, I'm talking about your functional ambitions, not your stated ambitions, but the things you really live for, you spend your time on, your talents on, your treasures on, that your ambitions, the things you give yourself to, would be transformed by an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ, by the gospel. The gospel would transform your ambition My prayer for you is that today, having an ambition transformed by the gospel, you would make it your ambition to proclaim the gospel. Make it your ambition to proclaim the gospel. That was Paul's ambition. We read in this text that Paul made disciples of the gospel, was faithful to the gospel, fulfilled his gospel ministry, was ambitious to preach the gospel from Jerusalem, the center of of his world as a Jew, the place where God lived. For him as a Jew, Jerusalem would have been the center of the universe. It's where God was in the temple. 
and he left Jerusalem and went all the way around to Illyricum. If you see on the map there, Illyria, in the then Mediterranean world, the then civilized world, very far away from Jerusalem, making disciples, preaching the gospel. And I pray that that kind of ambition that would drive a Jew out of Jerusalem to go to all the then known world. Listen, Paul would, wanted to go to Rome, further west on the map from Illyria. And we'll find out next week when Jim preaches that he, he's going to use Rome as a jumping off spot to go to Spain at the western tip of the then known world. Why? What drove him here? His ambition to proclaim the gospel. His ambition to make disciples. And may that be our ambition, to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because point one, God enables us to proclaim the gospel. God enables us to proclaim the gospel. And if you look at verse 14, the way he enables us to proclaim the gospel is he qualifies us by his word. The first bullet point under point one, qualified by God's word. God enables us to proclaim the gospel, qualifying us by his word. This is what Paul wrote to the uh, Romans. He said, listen, I know of you. You have all goodness, all knowledge. And he's talking about gospel knowledge. And you're able to instruct one another. Why did Paul know about the Romans? Remember, he had never visited there, not yet. He was on his way there. He did not plant that church, but he had two very good friends, Priscilla and Aquila, that labored there that told him about the church and told them that they were they were knowledgeable of the word of God. They told him of their generosity, that term all goodness in verse 14. Do you see it there? I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you are you yourselves are full of all goodness, filled with all knowledge. The very knowledge they were filled with was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, able to instruct one another. God qualifies us. He enables us to proclaim the gospel by qualifying us with his word. We are are actually qualified to preach the gospel to one another, my friends. It's interesting, in verse 15, Paul says to them, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Now, Paul, being an apostle to the Gentiles, is writing to a a primarily Gentile church with boldness. He's not making any excuses, but he's saying, listen, I'm just writing to you as a reminder. You already know it. Paul Vista, I just want to encourage you and commend you. You know the gospel. When When I look at some of you, I'm just reminding you what you learned in community group. Remember that, Matt? I'm reminding you, Julian, and Jerry, what I, what I taught you as we were doing premarital counseling, I'm just reminding you this morning of the gospel that qualifies you to do what? To instruct one another. To instruct one another. To proclaim the gospel. And that that actually, that actually would be your passion because you're transformed by the gospel. This very gospel of which I am reminding you transforms you, it transforms me, it transformed Paul. And not only that, God enables us to proclaim the gospel, not just by qualifying us with his word, but by calling us, second bullet point, by his grace. Calling us by his grace. That is what Paul says there in verse 15. But on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder. Why? Because of the grace given to me by God. Verse 16. What kind of grace? What did that grace do in Paul's life? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the, God, to the Gentiles. 
in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting here. Paul says God's grace called him to be a minister to the Gentiles. See, in most other places, Paul would have said he God's grace called me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he would have been right. But here he chooses the word minister and he couples it with priestly service in the second part there of verse 16. Do you see that? To be a minister of of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, first part of 16. In the priestly service of the gospel, second part, he sees himself actually in a priestly service to the gospel, of the gospel of God so that he might offer up the Gentiles in an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Friends, what Paul is doing here is he's creating an image of worship, actually of temple worship, where Paul is a priest. He's a priest of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a minister. He's a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And what's he called to do? He's called to offer them up to God. To offer them up to God as an offering that's made acceptable by Christ Jesus and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You just imagine sort of this Old Testament picture of a priest bringing a sacrifice onto the altar and then offering it up as a fragrant sacrifice, perhaps a burnt sacrifice, and the smoke of of it rises to God's nostrils. And God says, that is acceptable. Why? Because Christ has made it acceptable. And that is sanctified, set apart for me. Why? Because the Holy Spirit does that. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that makes us acceptable and sanctifies us. Listen, Paul proclaimed the gospel, trusting that the gospel would then make disciples. The gospel of Jesus Christ would take unholy, pagan, Gentile idolaters and change them. Paul would then offer them up to God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because God would save them. Paul would say, here they are, these pagan, unholy, Gentile idolaters. They're now holy worshipers of God made acceptable by the blood of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. And and it reminds us, and actually, I'm sure he was thinking of what he wrote earlier in Romans. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 on the screen, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Same idea as he's mentioning here. I'm offering the Gentiles as living sacrifices, holy, unholy Gentiles made holy and acceptable by the blood of Jesus. Unholy idolaters now worshiping God, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is an act of worship. Friends, he's talking about making disciples. He's talking about the fact that his ambition to proclaim the gospel is an ambition to make disciples. And that's point two. God, not only point one, enables us to proclaim the gospel. God, at point two, empowers us to make the gospel make disciples with the gospel. See, when God calls us by his grace, he empowers us by his spirit to make disciples of Jesus Christ with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, listen, the end game is make disciples. I told you that my prayer is that the gospel would transform your ambition so that you would make it your ambition to proclaim the gospel. 
Yes, but making it your ambition to proclaim the gospel is not the end game. The end game is to make disciples. That was Paul's ambition. He wanted to come and offer up these Gentiles as disciples of Jesus Christ, no longer worshiping idols, unholy, impure, selfish people, but now worshiping God through Jesus Christ, made acceptable by the blood of Jesus, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Friends, this was Paul's ambition, to make followers of Jesus Christ. Look, we see this in verses 17 and 18. He goes on to write in 17, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. In Christ Jesus, not in in himself. Verse 18, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And what has Christ accomplished through Paul? To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Listen, bringing the Gentiles to obedience is another way of saying making disciples. How do I know that? Because Jesus told us that in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. This is great commission verbiage. Paul is simply, I think, referring to what Jesus commanded all Christians to do, and that is to make disciples. And what's a disciple? Well, let's read in verse 28, chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 of Matthew. Jesus' final words. He's about to ascend into heaven. Listen to what he says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all ethnos, that includes the Gentiles, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what characterizes a disciple? Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Paul says, it's my ambition not just to proclaim the gospel, but then to to offer up to God by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, made acceptable by the blood of Christ, these Gentiles who would be obedient to Christ, no longer pagan idolaters obeying their passions, their lusts, other gods, unholy, but now holy by the blood of Jesus, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, to obey what Christ has taught them. Paul was on mission with the gospel. And that means he was bringing others to obedience to Christ. That means that he was making disciples, dear friends. Sub point one, first bullet point under point two. Point two, God empowers us to make disciples with the gospel. First bullet point, the goal of gospel proclamation is to make disciples. That's why Paul, listen, Look again at verses 19 and 20. Look at them with me. Verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. What's the ministry of the gospel of Christ? Making disciples. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. As he proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Elycrium, and he's looking to proclaim it even further in Rome, and he wants to one day go to Spain, the western edge of the then known world, the idea is I'm ambitious to proclaim the gospel because I'm ambitious to make disciples, and I know that that only happens when the Holy Spirit transforms pagan, unholy idolaters into holy worshipers of God. He says that there in verse 19, by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, it is only the power of the Holy Spirit 
with the word of God, the gospel, Jesus Christ in our mouths that makes disciples. That reminds me of the story of Louis Zamperini. He is the subject of the movie that just was released Christmas Day entitled Unbroken. Louis was an Olympian. He ran the mile in the Berlin Olympics. Louis was a World War II hero. He crashed his plane in the Pacific, spent 47 days in the ocean, was captured by the Japanese and remained unbroken, as the movie will testify, during over two years of horrible, horrible torture and imprisonment. He came home a memory. Uh, He came home a hero. He could not be broken by the Japanese. But dear friends, that's not the whole story. Unfortunately, the movie ends before the real story of Louis Zamperini is told. Because though the Japanese could not break him, his own bitterness and the tortured memories of what happened to him and his fear and alcoholism broke him. So that by 1949, Louis Zamperini, this hero, unbroken by the Japanese, was a broken man by his own sin and anger and bitterness. He had turned to alcohol. He had a young wife named Cynthia and a little baby girl. And Cynthia came to Louis and said, I'm divorcing you, Louis. I no longer want to live in this torment with you. And then, in September of 1949, a young evangelist named Billy Graham set up a huge tent that was called the Canvas Cathedral on the corner of Washington Boulevard and Hill Street in Los Angeles. And he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Much like Paul preached it from Jerusalem to Elycrium, Billy Graham came to Los Angeles to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. He was an ambitious man as well, ambitious to proclaim the gospel, and that the gospel might make disciples, and it did of Cynthia, Louis Zamperini's wife. And she came home, and she appealed to Louis, and Louis said, I'm not going into that tent. And the neighbors prayed for Louis. And oh, friends, we must pray as we are ambitious to preach the gospel for those around us, the lost, the pagan, the idolaters, who we were, the unclean and unholy, that the gospel would come to their ears and God would make them disciples of Jesus Christ. And Louis relented and went to that canvas cathedral. And the moment he heard Billy Graham preaching the gospel, he wanted to run out. As a matter of fact, he did the first time. Why? Because he heard Billy Graham say these words, quote, There is a drowning man, a drowning woman, a drowning boy or girl lost in the sea of life. And you can imagine those words, I believe inspired by the Holy Spirit in Billy Graham's mouth, struck at the core of Louis Zamperini's fears and torments and all the things he hated. And, and he saw himself again on the sea and he saw himself again in that prisoner of war camp and he hated everything and hated everyone to include God and he ran out of that tent. But God drew him back in. Oh, friends, don't you know that God's grace is irresistible. He is sovereign in salvation. And the sovereign God said, Louis Zamperini, you're one of my elect, and I died for your sins. And Louis came back. And when he heard a second appeal of the gospel, because God drew him irresistibly by his grace, he got up and he meant to walk out of the tent, but instead somehow his feet turned left and he walked toward the voice. And he walked toward God because God drew him and God elected him and God saved him through the gospel. And Louis Zamperini became a disciple of Jesus Christ and served God well into his 90s as a man of God. This, this is what is worthwhile. Listen, friends. God empowers us to make disciples with the gospel. And the goal of gospel proclamation is to make disciples. But second bullet point, the power to make disciples comes from the Spirit of God. That's 
the point of the Louis Zamperini story. No one could have changed this man but the Spirit of God. But listen, that Spirit of God works in and through us. Jesus works in and through us. That is what Paul was saying here in verse 19. He actually says it a little more clearly in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Another letter that Paul wrote to Christians. Christians in a place called Colossae, modern-day Turkey. And he says this to those Christians. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, up on the screen. Him, Jesus, we proclaim. He's ambitious to proclaim Jesus. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the same thing he's saying in Romans 15. Presenting the Gentiles as an acceptable offering to God, obedient to Christ's commands. But verse 29 is what I want you to pay attention to. For this, making disciples, proclaiming the gospel, I toil, struggling with all His, Jesus' energy, that's the power of the Holy Spirit, that He powerfully works within me. You would almost think Paul's saying, I'm struggling with all my energy that God works in me. No, no. We struggle with all His energy, the power of the Spirit, that He works in us. Friends, that's our hope. The power to make disciples, the power to proclaim the gospel comes from the Holy Spirit that he works in us, but he works it in us. My friend Corey Smidgen went on a retreat about the church and gospel proclamation, and he wrote many, many wonderful notes, and I, and I stole a little bit of what he wrote and, and researched, and I want to read it to you with his permission. Quoting from Corey, May we work as hard as we can by the power of Christ that he works in us, to see Christ formed in others, that is to say, to make disciples. But may we do it with the knowledge that ultimately it is not up to us to build Palm Vista as a great church or make disciples. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Only He can change hearts and form Christ in us, but He does use us to do this synergism. But when we trust ourselves rather than God in this matter, we become intense and lack joy. But as our confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit to build Palm Vista and make disciples grow, so does our joy. Oh, friends, listen to me. May our joy grow as we make disciples. The power of God that He works in us, but He does use us. The final bullet point, the third bullet point under point two, God empowers us to make disciples with the gospel. Third bullet point, gospel ministry is fulfilled only when disciples are made, dear friends. That's what Paul said here in verse 19 and 20. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I've made disciples, not by my power, by his power that he, he mightily works within me. That's the Louis Zamperini story. See, Paul was ambitious to proclaim this gospel. Don't you see at the end of the letter, he's simply reiterating, stating again what he stated at the beginning of the letter. Remember? The thematic verses of this letter, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17 on the screen, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's Paul's ambition to proclaim it. May we not be ashamed of it, but ambitious to proclaim it. For it, the power, the gospel, is the power of God. Jesus is the gospel. He's the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, in it, the gospel, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Listen, the righteous living by faith is just another way of saying they are disciples. 
By faith, I obey God. By faith, I walk in what God has taught me in Christ. Christ making me acceptable, not my works. But then Christ enabled me by the power of the Spirit, sanctifying me to live for Him and not for myself or for the world. This is the theme. Disciples obey Christ by faith. Disciples make other disciples and proclaim the gospel by faith. It is what Paul did. It is what Paul was called to do. Listen, his call was to make disciples amongst the Gentiles in pioneer church planting. I mean, he says that in verse 21 when he quotes Isaiah 52. But as it is written, verse 21 of Romans 15, Paul here quoting Isaiah 52, uh, 15b, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Paul is saying, look, I know that that was prophesied hundreds of years ago through Isaiah and I know now that that's going to be fulfilled in Christ. Me, the Jew of all Jews, understands that God intended to always intended to bring in the Gentiles and he's called me to do pioneer missions work among the unreached peoples to preach Jesus so that Gentiles, unholy Gentiles, with whom I would never even have had a meal, know they're going to be made holy by the blood of Jesus and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's, the, that's what the grace of God has called me to do. We may not be, Paul, called to unreached people groups, uh, missions, nor are we apostles. But like Paul, we're called to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. Listen, there are some in our church, a couple that is here now in Miami, and the grace of God has called them to proclaim the gospel to those caught in sex trafficking and human trafficking and to make a difference there. You may not be, have that call in your life. You don't have the grace for that. But you do have the grace to proclaim the gospel and make disciples in your world. See, that, that's God's appeal this morning to us all. On the screen, here's the appeal. Here's God's word to us. May it be your ambition this new year to make disciples with the gospel. May it be your ambition this new year to make disciples with the gospel. Oh, friends, this is not your selfish wish. No, it is God's sovereign will, empowered by God's Holy Spirit. Oh, friends. We, we all are going to make some New Year's resolutions this week. We're all going to set up our priorities. We're all going to state our new priorities. We're all going to say we're going to launch on a new way. Listen, for most of us, it starts with losing weight, of course. Ever since Thanksgiving, we've been overeating or getting healthier or working harder or making those good grades in this next semester or getting that promotion at work or doing this or that. And those are all fine. They're not bad uh, goals or priorities at all. But friends, if your number one priority this New Year's doesn't begin with making disciples with the gospel, you're, you're shooting for too little, not too much. There's one thing to have stated priorities, but what are your functional priorities this New Year? May they be, may it be to make disciples with the gospel. May that be your ambition. And let's think and, and together how we can do that. How we can bring our resources together in our homes to pray and talk about the gospel and the implications of the gospel for how we live, what our priorities are. In our communities as we're on mission with the gospel to help the poor, not just in word, but in word and deed. That's what Paul said he was doing. To work, to better our communities in our schools, in our workplaces, in our church, friends. That our functional priority would be to gather together, perhaps for some of you to reconnect with your community group, reconnect with singles or youth, and to say, I want to make disciples right here with the gospel, instructing one another, enabled by God to do it, because we know the word. We just need to remember it, remind one another. 
And then informally, as we meet together in our homes, our priority, our ambition is to make disciples with the gospel. To that end, we pray. To that end, I pray. Let us bow our heads. Worship team, please join me here up front. Lord, I pray that you would move in each one of our lives. Lord, that you would take our functional priorities and match them with our stated priority. Lord, that in each heart, Lord, that the, the new priority would be to proclaim the gospel and with that gospel to make disciples. Lord, there may be hearts that are not disciples yet. May it begin with their life. May right now this gospel that I preach, Jesus Christ, who is the gospel, who came to live the perfect life for us that we could never live, and then die on the cross to receive the wrath of God we deserve, that we might get the favor that we don't. That he might make us unholy pagan idolaters, worshiping ourselves and everything else but you, into holy worshipers of God. Those who no longer live for themselves and obey their own whims and ways and and opinions, but now obey you, Jesus. Free to live for you and free to make disciples with the gospel. Lord, even now as As we pray that, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would respond now. They would be irresistibly drawn by your grace to bow their hearts and their knee like Louis Zamperini and say, you are Lord and I repent. Do it now. Lord, for the rest of us, sanctify our hearts. Lord, give us fresh faith to make this our new ambition or renew our ambition to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples with the gospel. Lord, I pray this with all of my heart. Lord, may this be a disciple-making church, making a difference in our community. Build your church, Lord. May the gates of hell not prevail against it. And even now, as we stand to sing, how great is our God, may our focus be on you, and not our weakness, but on your strength. May you work your strength in us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and sing.